Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast. Bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're talking the Utes lose to the team down south, and we're joined by former quarterback Jordan Wynn. Kind of get his perspective of what's going on with this Utah program. I'm Cameron, and I got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. What is up, boys? What is up? Oh, that was a crappy game. What game? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we get started on that one? What what the crap is going on, honestly, with this team? Uh, no fight, no emotion, no sense of urgency. It Two all... third down conversions. Like, what is going on? Don't, don't, don't worry about all that. Kyle said this team is comparable to 2019. It'll all be fine. Oh, my gosh. Don't even get me started on... Kyle's comments on on Monday afternoon. I I if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know Cam's kind of the level headed one of the group. Cam's fired up. We're just gonna let Cam go. I'm putting a nickel in you right now, Cam. Just go. Just vent. Why the crap is Kyle throwing his players under the bus in his presser? Are you freaking kidding me? Blaming the offense because guys are missing assignments? That could be true. Probably is, but why the crap isn't this coaching staff getting guys in position to be successful? What was going on with that offense? There was no imagination. There's no creativity. But it wasn't the play calling. (laughs) And that's what pisses me off. As the head coach, take responsibility. Well, that's Take the responsibility as a coaching staff. Don't blame your players, and then you want to protect the defense. That's, and I get it. The de- I'm not the, the defense was better than I think a lot of people are, are are saying. They got gassed. I'll give them that. But the fact that he just wants to throw this offensive stat or the offensive players under the bus, but protect himself, protect Andy Ludwig is garbage. You look at the offense. What did they do? There was no no creativity, no motions, no screens, nothing. Fourth and two, and you know they're going to run up the gut. You know what they're going to do. It was. Bull crap, wit. That's freaking bull crap. Let it all out. To stand Cam. up there and Let throw your players out. under the bus. I told you, I'm fired up, dude. Guys, we're recording this on Monday. <laughs> this isn't even a. This isn't right after. This the isn't game. a Saturday night late podcast. We've had multiple days to come down from this. See, I was fine. I I was pissed. I was angry, but I I was pretty even even kill. And then today, that just rubbed me the wrong way. Well, the, the 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 funny thing about that is, Wit historically throughout his career always takes that blame, right? He his his famous line: "It's up to us as coaches to teach this better. It's up to us to coaches to fix this." And so it is a little it's a little off kilter, you know. Everything with Wit's a little off kilter right now. His hair, I mean, 
do us a favor, put a hat on, cover that thing up. <laughs> but <laughs> or look like me and Scott at least. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it uh, that it is wit. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. Is wit okay? Is is he kind of like got one foot out the door? It kind of. I mean, I don't. Who knows? Did twenty nineteen break him as it, much as it broke all of us? It kind of feels like it. Like even going back to the press conference last week when he made the comment about, "Well, nothing is going to last forever." He was kind of like opening the door to, well, you know, either. Either a this a loss is not, coming. A, a loss is yeah, coming. This team's not good enough, or it's just like, or maybe maybe he's just maybe he saw in his team like, hey, they're not putting in the work. They're not putting in the effort. They they've won nine straight over the last twelve years, and it's kind of like they show up. Okay, but that would completely contradict everything that he's told the media since fall camp started. Oh, how true. Hard, how hard this team works. I mean, you you heard it, you heard it from some of the players this week that last week they they worked their butts off. So I don't think it was a lack of preparation. I think this meant. I I honestly think it sure seems like from from our fan perspective. Obviously, we're not in the we're not in the locker room. We're not in the, in these coaches' meeting rooms. But it came, it looked like Utah came in to this game with a lot of pride. And said, we're bigger, we're faster, we're more talented. We're just going to do a very basic game plan, and that will be enough. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that game, BYU fans have not been in, in Lavelle Edwards Stadium for, since 2019, right? The day before, they just get invited to the Big 12. They're, they're on cloud nine. They're, they're euphoric already and that team that fan base former players did not want 10 in a row to happen that place was fired up they they played like their lives literally depended on it if you watch sataki on the sideline i don't know that i've ever seen a coach so intense ever before I mean, he was he was barking at the refs for everything. He was just agitated over everything. The look on his face, and then you see his celebration afterwards, going down the sideline with when they're kneeling down. I mean, he don't tell me that win did not mean everything to that program. Oh, it, it did. did. It did. I, I mean that the place was rocking, as you said. Their their fans showed up. Uh, they their team was emotionally charged for that game. Utah really acted like they could just show up. That and th- and that's that's the problem is you put that environment that h- how ready BYU was for that game against our approach of it's just another game. We're not going to get too high, and we're going to come in with a vanilla game plan. That's what you get is if you can't match the other team's energy level. You're going to be in for it. I don't care if you're the more talented team because there's no questions about it. Well, Utah is far more talented oh, yeah. than that BYU team. But but credit to BYU. They handled Utah mm-hmm. across the board. Offensive line, defensive line. I mean, their wide receivers. I, their secondary looked better than ours. They, they had better coverage. I mean, it was... it. 
I didn't know if I was watching Utah out there. Who is this team? <laughs> I'd like to jump back for a second for your comment earlier when you said that the team or the team said they worked hard in practice last week. If they it's hard for me to fathom that they did the way they came out and played. Oh, I I but uh, but let's be honest, I don't think this team is going to mail it in during the week. They're going to put the work in. The question is, what's the what's the what's the message that the coaches are giving them? Right? What's the game plan? Are they treating this, hey, this is just another Weber State game? Or are they treating this, hey guys, this is a rivalry game. Here's the history of our rivalry cuz a lot of these kids on this team, they don't know Jack about this rivalry. All they know that as Utah's beat them nine times in a I row. I mean, we had Kenneth Scott on here last week. He didn't even know where the state of Utah was, let alone any history of the Utah BYU rivalry until he played in it. We didn't play this game last year. Well, the message from the coaching staff didn't wasn't loud and clear then, and and, and clearly from Witt's comments earlier last week when he said nothing's going to last forever. If that's the message he gave to the team. Or if the team heard him say that, they're going to take on the mentality of that coach, and they—they, they, I, you're right. They came in with the mentality of, "We're more talented. We're the Pac-12. We've beat these guys for 12 straight years, and it's going to happen again." Well, it, it backfired. Well, and that's the thing. I think they just expected to come in and things would happen like they have in the past. And and that's you got to go take it. You have to take it. And they didn't show up. They just kind of went through the motions. You know, very vanilla game plan offensively and defensively. You know, they 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 weren't showing a lot. They weren't. It didn't look as if they were trying to catch BYU off guard. It was this is what we do. This is what we plan to do. And we just think we're better at it. And you can't stop it. And then BYU just proceeded to literally stop it over and over and over again. And then over again, and Utah still didn't make adjustments. And see, and I think that's where my gripe is, is I I was fully expecting Winningham Monday afternoon to take a lot more responsibility as the coaching staff, that they didn't get these guys in places to be successful. When you know that BYU has been blitzing all game long, and how aggressive they were at the line of scrimmage, why didn't Utah run a screen? Do something to counter that. Or block <laughs> it. <laughs> well, that too. Or you could have, you know, your your uh, some of your leaders on the offensive line actually do their jobs and, and play assignment sound football. And at the end of the day, this game is what it is. And... All Utah can do at this point is learn from it. And I think there's a lot of guys, I think everybody inside those those buildings over there are humbled. Let's you hope have, so. You have no choice but to be after a performance like that. And whether that's whether that's a similar feeling that they get that they had from uh, the USC loss in 2019, let's hope so. Because that's what you're going to need after a performance like that. They should be embarrassed because they played well below their talent level and their ability level. Yeah. I think going back to your comments, Cam, about wit and kind of throwing the team under the bus, and and, and was, as already mentioned, it's not like him to do that. But maybe just kind of looking at it from the other side, maybe 
he sees this team differently and maybe he's using that as a motivation. Maybe he's saying, you guys need to play better. You need to play smarter, stronger, more intensity, and I'm going to call you out. That's not his MO, but maybe that's going to work. Maybe he knows that's going to work with these guys. Yeah, and 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 if if he feels that that maybe taking it public a little bit will light some fires under some guys, maybe what they've been doing internally hasn't been working and so he's trying a different method. I don't know. I'll I'll give him the benefit of the Look doubt. Look at you two being rational about things. No, 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 just but let not, me be like, angry. You can be angry, and I think you have a right to be angry. I'm just trying to look at it from another perspective. Well, and, that, and, I, and I think he's earned that 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 idea that hey, you know this this is not him. He doesn't typically just go out and, and he's not going to throw guys under the bus. He always takes that responsibility. And and who knows? Maybe he's just utterly frustrated with 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 things that are going on. I don't know. What I'm frustrated with is. The same offense year in and year out. I will give a benefit of the doubt to the defense, right? Our defense is so good year in and year out. They almost never have a down year, regardless of of transfers, regardless of guys graduating. They just fill fill those voids year in and year out and produce a top line defense. Maybe, just maybe, obviously it's still early, so there's we really should not overreact. But if this is a down year for the defense, I'll give it to you. That happens in college football. So my gripe, I'm not even going to focus on the defense. My gripe is where it always is. It's with an offense where you spent the offseason bringing in a prolific passer who has over 9,000 yards in his over career. Over 10,000 now. Well, yeah. And uh, you brought in Theo Howard. You've said all offseason how you need to open up the offense. You need to be more aggressive through the passing game to accomplish what you need to in college football these days. (laughs) And what are we doing? We are the most conservative, unimaginative offense I just, I just don't get it. Why on earth you have we run we run bunch formation like eighty percent of that game? Do you not? We have the speed advantage over BYU. We have the talent advantage over BYU. Why are we not tr- going to, to the edges on these guys, making them defend the entire length or width of the field? No, we're just gonna bunch it in and and run it right up the gut over and over and over again. And we think that's good enough to beat them. Really? And, I, and I'll take it away even from this BYU game. That's what we see all the time. Outside of 2019, when you had a senior in Tyler Huntley, who's now an NFL quarterback, an NFL running back in Moss. Outside of 2019, this is what we get. This is the offense we get year after year after year. Which is completely disappointing when you think of the talent that is being wasted on the offensive side of the ball. You've got Britton Covey, who all of us know he's a talent. Solomon Enos has got hands. Now he dropped a ball, but whatever. They're not, he's not going to catch them all. Theo Howard, Jalen Dixon. Jalen doesn't even get on the field. I know. I know. Oh, and three tight ends that can catch the ball. Probably at least two of those tight ends will play in the NFL. How Keithy is not getting 
every series, how he's not getting multiple balls thrown his way, every dang series blows my mind. Well, this series that they targeted him, they scored their touchdown. It's 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 games like this that, that makes perfect sense why guys like Brian Thompson leaves the program. And the same thing is going to continue to happen if they don't utilize the weapons. And and guess what? This isn't just an angry fan's perspective. You had former players, Sly Stevenson, who was calling this game on the sidelines, say these exact same things. Why are we why are we so conservative offensively? Utah looks scared to start that game offensively. Yeah, clearly. And then yeah, it doesn't help when you start off with a pick and then a fumble. That's going to set you back a little bit. But isn't that even more of a reason at some point to say, okay, we're now behind the eight ball. We got to pick it up. We, we may have to take an extra chance here and there to spark something. We did not even try and stretch the field once. No. Let alone, I'm not even worried about the completion the of it. The longest pass completion, I think, was to Keithy for the touchdown. Or or Kincaid over the middle, uh, kind of late in yeah, the game. Yeah, late in the game, you're right. But but again, you didn't even attempt to stretch the field. Mm-hmm. Run any deep patterns, throw the ball, let that defense know, hey. Now, granted, he didn't have a lot of time to sit back there to throw the deep ball sometimes. But, but guess what? But <laughs> he didn't try it either. Can't you make an adjustment? Roll him out. Roll him. Get him out of the pocket. Create some more time. I mean, Ludwig's been doing this for as long as I've been alive. I mean, he's not a brand new coordinator. And and that's where I just look at and I go, why, why do we never learn from our mistakes? Why does Kyle continually run the same offense out there over and over again when he tells us all offseason how different it's going to be? That's I guess that's my gripe is you're going to get beat. I mean, college football, rivalry games, you're going to get beat. You're not going to win every game. There's it's just that's never going to happen. And that's that's not the expectation of this fan base. Right? Sure we want to win a lot, but you're going to lose some games. And and sometimes you're just going to get beat. But why we just continue to do the same thing over and over and over again? Kyle, we've it's been proven. This offense is not good enough to get to that next level and win a Pac-12 title. We've seen it in two Pac-12 title games where the offenses in both title games no-showed. He told Ludwig to save it till conference play starts. <laughs> I, I'll tell you. I, and you know what? I'll be the first to admit, this is coming from a fanboy's perspective. You know, we're going to have Jordan win here in, in a few minutes who's played the game, who's played played the quarterback position, coached the quarterback position. And so he'll be able to give us some good insights and you know, he'll probably call some of our stuff complete BS. <laughs> and that's that's okay. You know, correct us because right, we're just talking out of out of some fandom frustration at the moment. But but at the end of the day, this offense is it ever going to be addressed? Do you know what it, it reminded me of? I don't. As long as Whittingham's there, no. USC game 2019. There was just no, no adjustments. Very vanilla. Uh, USC didn't do anything that spectacular. They just kept throwing the ball up in the air, and and I kind of felt like that with this game where 
BYU didn't do anything that spectacular. They just didn't make mistakes. They were aggressive. They had the energy. And Utah just kind of well, rolled over and took they it. They made the right play at the right time. They out Utah Utah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They weren't flashy. No. They weren't running trick plays. They just said, we're going to run it, and we're going to run it down your throat until you stop it. And guess what? We never stopped it. They ran. And we never got off the field as a result. I mean, they were 11 of 19 on third down conversions. One of one on fourth down. That that fourth down really should have gone for uh, um, a, touchdown. a touchdown if he doesn't step out of bounds. We were two of nine. So not only could we, our offense couldn't stay on the field, our off our defense couldn't get off of it. Which which I will give them a pass late in the game because they were on the field a ton, but they were still getting pushed around in the opening half. We haven't talked about it, but there, were, this game could have played out differently had it been tied at halftime. Well, it's a different. It's a totally different mentality when you when you're on the road. You've played an abomination of a first quarter. I mean, that first quarter for Utah could not have really could not have gone worse than it did. And they were lucky; they were only down three to nothing. Exactly, right. Mm-hmm. So the defense early kept them in it. Right, some turnovers. You know, especially on that that first interception that uh, the Brewer threw. BYU ended up going backwards on that drive and had to punt. They get no points out of it. Well, then they get then they get three points off uh, off off the field or three points off, off the, the fumble. Fumble. Yeah. But but overall, not not that bad. We go down, we score, we get a stop, we march down again, and within and two a horrible, series, horrible holding call that negates the first down. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Now that but anyway, that up, now that you bring that up, don't let don't let me forget to get back to my original point here. But what was that? That's not a holding. If anything, it if, was tripping, but not holding. Tripping or, uh, I mean, if anything, I thought it was more of a chop block because he was. I mean, I don't know if he was engaged both high and low, but he definitely wasn't held. I know. We 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 did our commissioner. Needs to realize we still have a Pac-12 officiating problem because yes. we got homered by our own officials. Oh, in the PI in the in in the end zone. This game wasn't lost by officiating. <laughs> no, no, we're no, not no, saying no, it that. wasn't. It but, wasn't. But, but there were some bad. But that doesn't calls. negate their ineptitude. Oh yeah. But now, now I forgot my original <laughs> point. Okay, yeah, going back to it now. So within two drives. We had the opportunity to completely erase that first quarter and have the lead. At minimum, tie the ball game up. And then you've got all the momentum in the world. And I love I love Whit being aggressive though. Like I have no problem whatsoever going for it on fourth I don't down. Either. You're there. He's basically saying, Man, we had a rough start, but let's take control of this game right now. I love that mentality. But what the heck was that play call? A shotgun run up the middle on fourth and two? All right, we're up against a break. No, we're not! When we come back, I I want to get into this, this fourth down play call. We'll be right back.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we're back at it. Utah, fourth and two. You guys both think that Witt made the right decision to go for it, not kick the field goal. I, to I don't. It. Well, I'm not saying it's the right decision because I think, I think you kick the you you kicked it, you get the points, tie game. I think that's great. I think that's still a win. You still have the momentum at that point. So I, I think first, I think my first decision would be to take the points and tie it up, get a stop and go into halftime tied after you just played a disastrous first half. However, I see the point of going for it to to really completely steal the momentum, get that first down, score and be up by 4 and you get the ball out of the and half. And you go and you get the ball coming back. That that er, that erases the dismal first half completely. My problem is the stupid play call. If you're going to go for it, go for it. I mean, d- if there's anybody who knows the history of our o- offensive line in years past, it's Kyle Winningham. We do not do well at running the ball in short yardage situations. We just We haven't don't. for years. We haven't for years. We haven't on fourth down. Right? If you're going to do it, great. Go for it on fourth down. But do something maybe the defense hasn't seen before. Get get Brewer out of out of the pocket. Give him some options to run to pass. We only need two yards. A slant, a slant to the slot receiver is and 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 we bunch formation. We bring all eleven defenders right to the ball, and we hike it in shotgun. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this doesn't even make sense. What are we doing here? Well, and that's the thing that I've been harping on, the creativity. I why not have a Britain Covey and Wildcat or uh Jackson? Uh we've heard there's packages for him. Why not, you know, roll that out? Get, you know, Keithy in motion. Do something pre-snap to make the defense kind of th- think about what's going to happen. Well, here's the deal. They did they don't have to think. We run that every time. It's fourth and short. I, and so third, line up in a stinking formation like that. They're all crashing the line of scrimmage. Throw it out to the, somebody that or or play action out of it and then throw it. Yeah. Get the linebackers coming in to stop the run throw and it have over the top have the tight end sneak through. I, I know. I know. No, it's, I know. It's short downs on third and fourth are very predictable for Utah. They are, and 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 as bad as that ESPN commentating was oh my all gosh. night long, they did make one good point: is BYU did things that was out of their norm, right? Whereas we did not. We did things that we are known for, and that's whether what, they work or not. And that's that's goes back to this pride issue. We just think, oh, because we're Utah, and because a lot of people tell us we're the most physical team on the field, so we believe it. And that's all that ne- that's all that's needed. We've lost our physicality. I don't care what you say. I don't care who that pisses off. 
we do not have that physicality that we did as a early or as a Mountain West team or as an early Pac-12 team. Everybody, I think everybody in the Pac-12 is sick and sick of hearing, "Oh, Utah's the most physical team in the country. They're the most physical team in the conference." Well, guess what? There's other teams, Oregon included. Look what Oregon did this weekend. Yeah, there's other Ohio, teams at Ohio State that are saying, "Oh yeah, we'll out physical Utah," and they do it. We can't hang our hat on that anymore, unless you're actually going to prove it week in and week out. I'm sorry, BYU recruits in the 70s, guys, in the 70s, and they pushed us around like me and you were out there playing. Hey. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's just, again, it, it, it comes down to me. My disappointment is not losing to BYU. My disappointment is what was the performance that was put in and the effort that was put in, and and our mentality. I I I really think, man, this program and I love this program. I I love Utah football. It's a new week, and I'm excited for that. But they got they got to look at themselves and go do some self evaluation of of where they're at. Because you just can't keep riding these 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 same tendencies that they've been doing for so long. If if they have that mentality of we just need to show up, we're the most physical team. Well, clearly that blew up on them. Can can you flip a switch and turn that around in one week? I or think in they two can. Weeks? I think they can because I think a lot of that's mentality. We know the talent's there. Oh yeah, the talent is there, and we know this is a good coaching staff. We don't have six new guys that are unknown coaching this team. This is a good, productive coaching staff. Well, except and I for, think that's why Harding. we're so angry. Exactly. And why we're frustrated is because we know this team can have success. They've had success. This coaching team, this coaching staff is very capable, has had success. I mean, going back-to-back Pac-12 championship games is is hard to do. And the fact that they, they did it, I think that's where our frustration level is. Well, and, and Kyle's even stated that this is this is probably the most depth that he's ever had and the most talented from roster from top to bottom that has ever stepped on the field for the University of Utah. So you we know the talent's there. And that's why I think a switch can be turned on this, because I think it's mentality. I think these guys were embarrassed. I think they're there's they just had you're, they were humbled by that situation, right? And the good thing about it is it came, it happened out of conference. It doesn't affect, I mean, which doesn't affect your goals. No. You can still, you're still zero and zero in the, in the PAC 12. You can still go out and you can win the South. You can still play for a PAC 12 title, get to the Rose bowl playoffs. You know, that's probably, that's, that's out of the picture. I would, I would suspect not to say that this this team is even to the level of of being worthy of of a playoff opportunity at the moment, but there's no doubt about it. I th- I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see a different team against San Diego State. If we don't, then we there's... can we can sound all the sirens and all the alarms you want at that point. But I but I think this is just one game where they. I, they got a good wake up call as far as what they need to do individually, what they need to do as as a unit and as a team in general to turn it around. Well, and I think it's going to be a good test because we saw how close Arizona hung with BYU week one, and then turned around and got blasted by San Diego State. 
And, and you don't think San Diego State's going to want to take a shot at a former Mountain West oh, for sure. team that left them behind? San Diego State will be ready for this game. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good. I'm excited for, I'm excited for that. But, uh, you know... You know, going in, I mean, A-Rod, I mean, dude, when A-Rod's out coaching you, ooh, you got to look yourself in the mirror, don't you? Yep. I mean, BYU didn't do anything fancy. Jaron Hall was really good on the ground, and he did not make any mistakes, but he wasn't he wasn't out of this world amazing passing the ball. So that's what I say. Like, I don't think BYU did anything great or grand. They just, they played a good good game they had good schemes they didn't make mistakes when they needed to make plays they they made them and that's really the difference and in the that game that is literally the difference in the game right because when we scored that touchdown to pull it within six with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter i literally said we're doing it we're gonna get a stop i've i've seen this so many times Win by one. We're going to get a stop, and we're going to get the ball back, and we're going to go score and take the lead. We got this. And then third down conversion, third down conversion, third down conversion over and over as they march down the field again. I just I could not believe that. I could not believe how we could not get off and, the and field. At that point, so late in the game, that's when the defense was gassed, and they'd been out there for so long. Um but you're right. It was you don't in in years past you think okay the defense is going to give the the offense another opportunity. They're going to they're going to get a stop. And they and they couldn't do it. What are your what are your guys' thoughts on uh Jim Harding? <laughs> I tweeted out after the game what when was the last time Harding coached up a good offensive line? And I got more responses than I thought I would get. And most of them were 2016, and that's a stretch. Meaning he should have been fired in 2016. <laughs> no, that was that was the last time he coached up a good offensive line. I'll tell you. you know, And, 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 they're, and they're saying that because that was the year he put four O-line sure, guys in the sure. NFL. Since then, I think it's been abysmal. It it has and 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 where I look at it is I go, you know BYU had a good offensive line last year and put some guys in the league, and they had three guys starting, three brand new guys starting this year, and they look like a good unit already. How how is BYU who recruits in the seventies consistently putting better offensive lines together than Jim Harding? Is there a there is there a curse offensively? <laughs> what is the deal? Why can we not figure this stuff out? Jordan Wynn, teach us. Teach us your ways. Enlighten us. All right, Utah fans. Joining us on the phone line, one of our favorite guests, favorite former player. Utah quarterback, great. Jordan Wynn. Jordan, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. We're, we're good, all things considered, with Utah yeah. dropping the, the in-state game, as Whittingham likes to call it. Uh, but really, you know, what we've been talking about so far, uh, especially with the, the offense, is kind of almost a vanilla play calling and not a lot of adjustments going on. 
kind of curious what what your eyes and what your thoughts are uh, of what you saw out of the Utah offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think um, you know my thoughts are a whole lot different than than what most people are saying. It you know they were a little stagnant. Um, you know, again, it's it's tough. Um, it's tough to really you know dive into the play calling and and um, what goes on. Just again, you know, that, that's something that as a fan, I'm not, I'm not privy to. So, you know, going into the week, what their strategy was and what they were doing. And even the plays that get called, you know, watching on TV, you only get one, one or maybe two replays. So, um, you know, even I can't dissect the entire play that fast sometimes, but, uh, you know, obviously I, I think the, the bottom line, and I think where a lot of you fans are frustrated is just, it, it's a production oriented business and that's the game of college football. And, and it's, um, you know, when things don't go right, it's, it's, you're going to take blame and, and you're going to get heat. And, uh, that's just the, kind of the way it goes. And, and that's how it's always been. And, and as fans and as alumni and, and, um, you know, people who want to see the program succeed, it's, you know, you want to see production. And so, um, in, in that regard, I, you know, I understand some of the frustration from youth fans and, um, think, you know, it's justified. You got to score points to win and, and they just didn't do that Saturday night. And so, um, you know, it's, it's tough to knock uh, necessarily the play call or, or what was going on, but um, you know, obviously the end result wasn't what anybody wanted it to be. So, um, you know, it's disappointing and upsetting and, and uh, you know, you got to find a way to fix it, fix it quick because the team they're playing this Saturday is rolling right now um, and, and, you know, right the ship. So Jordan, I, I just got a question as far as kind of, um, you know, a, a playbook in general, obviously in week two, maybe not everything's installed, but just just kind of out of curiosity, because this offseason, they bring in Brewer, who's, you know, been a prolific passer down to Baylor, over 9,000 yards passing. You, you bring in a Theo Howard to add to, you know, the existing group that you've got here. And, and Kyle's talked a lot about, you know, opening up the offense a little bit more and in order to, you know, really accomplish their goals, they know they've got to get better in the passing game. So, you know, obviously, you know, Weber State and even through BYU two weeks, the the offense still seems pretty, pretty conservative and, you know, not a ton of different formations and not passing the ball around all that much. So this long-winded question is is that is that a, a product of just being in week two of the season and not everything being installed yet, or is that Kyle kind of going back to maybe his his conservative nature of of really just wanting to run the ball and, and protect the ball and and eat clock? Um, I mean, you know, it's, again, it's tough to say. I think um, you know the recipe to win, and and I don't, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at. Really, it, it usually starts with with it up front, and it usually starts with being able to run the football. Um, so I don't necessarily think, you know, trying to establish the run game and, and maybe not opening it up as early as people would like is, is a bad thing. Um, I know Ute fans feel that, you know, offensively we're usually pretty vanilla and, and conservative and want to run the football. And, you know, I look at it just, um, from my perspective is, you, you know, as an offense, you're trying to put the best 11 on the field and, and maximize their chances at success. So, if you take a look at the Utah roster, um, specifically offensively, you know, my takeaways from the first two weeks is, is pass protection hasn't been um, ideal. I think Brewers, especially in week one, felt a lot of pressure more so than needed. But if you look at the way they're running the football, they're having a lot of success. And especially with those four backs, um, that's a very talented group. And you throw in the tight end room as well. 
So <clears throat> it's tough to say, you know, you, like you said, you have a Theo Howard, you have Charlie Brewer used to these past happy offenses. And, um, you know, Britton Covey didn't get, I don't even know if he had many touches Saturday night, truthfully. Um, so it's a balancing act, right? You're trying to uh, put your best 11 on the field, maximize the potential for success and, and move the ball around and, and um, score points. And so, you know, that, how do you go about that? And that's, um, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, I, to go back to the first part of your question, I, I don't necessarily think it's a lack of, of playbook install. Um, typically, you know, your bread and butter, your, your 80% of your playbooks, you know, pretty installed coming out of fall camp. Um, obviously there are things, um, you know, hey, football is the, the ultimate game of thievery from plays. We all watch everybody else. We watch football. I watch football all weekend and go, wow, that was an awesome play. It'd be sweet to, I mean, even as a coach, it'd be sweet to install that play. That had a lot of success. It doesn't matter even if it's not a team we're playing or watching film on. Um, so the bulk of your offense, you know, typically is installed in camp. So I don't necessarily think it's that. Um, I just think, you know, it's, it's, they're trying to, uh, you know, establish the run game going into that game last week. If, if, um, you know, you'd have told me they would have lost the line of scrimmage. I, I would have probably laughed at you. Um, truthfully, I thought Utah was going to dominate the line of scrimmage Saturday night and, and that wasn't the case. Um, so, you know, long-winded question, long-winded answer. I, I'm with you guys. I, I would love to see the playbook opened up as well and some more throws. But, again, you also got to maximize and, and set yourself up for where you're going to be, you know, have the most success. So kind of along the same lines with the line of scrimmage comment you just made, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on in-game adjustments and, and how difficult that may be. Because as, as we saw, BYU – constantly put pressure on Brewer and there were there were several times at least it felt like that the O-line didn't pick up the blitzer or wasn't in the right position to pick up the blitzer how how difficult is that to 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 pick up and to adjust in game um I mean that you know that's kind of always what separated the the really really successful teams and, and the knots is um you know, great in-game adjustments. You know, you look at uh, an Alabama or Clemson. Um, usually, typically, they they come out and they, especially like for for me, the big tell is if adjustments are successful or being made is the first series coming out of half, right? Because you got in, you went over what's been going on, you've talked it out, you've gone over whatever has happened in the first half, whether it's hey, we need to figure this out and call something different, or it's hey, we need to clean up the execution. And usually you kind of throw out your, your, Hey, we know what you're doing. Here's our answer to it in that first series. Um, and, and you look at the first series, Utah had the ball in the second half and they went three and out. So again, is that a lack of adjustments or is that a lack of execution? It's, it's tough to say, um, without, you know, me being able to sit and watch the game film for, for a few hours and really, you know, dissect it. But, um, again, you know, this game is, is a production oriented game. And so for us as fans watching, you know, they didn't produce in the second half when they needed to. So I think the question's justified, right? Like it, it, is the right adjustments being made? Um, tough to say, is it a lack of execution? Tough to say. Um, but you, you should be able to make those adjustments. Um, you know, and I thought Tuiaki did a good job of, of mixing up their game plan. Um, you know, one of the hardest things I always struggled with is drop eight. 
um, especially on known passing downs on third and medium and third and long. And I thought they did a good job of mixing that in. Um, I can tell you right now, there's nothing worse than having a four guys in the route and there's eight guys in coverage. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult for a guy to get open. It's difficult. Your, your inner clock in your head as a QB is going off. Like, Hey, I need to get out of the pocket. Hey, I need to get out of the pocket. Hey, I need to move. And you don't. And the second that you actually leave the pocket, you just cut the field in half. And, um, that's something that I like, especially my freshman year in 2009, I had a really tough time with, um, you know, you watch film on it and you prepare for it, but seeing it live is it's really difficult. And I thought he did a really good job of, um, mixing that in, in, in a lot of, uh, high pressure situations really at the right time. And I, I think I'd be curious, um, you know, again, in a perfect world, if I could sit and just dissect that film, but to go back and watch against that drop eight coverage what brewer did um on a consistent basis because i feel like and again this is you know just off of watching at one time i felt like brewer was feeling that clock go off in his head and started to move one way or the other and and again against drop eight when you do that's what they want you to do they want you to leave the pocket because now they can chase you from behind and create uh, more urgency and you've cut the field in half so that four-man route that you had um, usually it gets cut down to two or three because that fourth guy can't really get into the picture. Um, so that, I mean, that's tough. And, and again, you got to find answers and you got to find ways to, um, you know, either have success against that or avoid that situation. And they just, you know, they could, they couldn't do that on Saturday night and, and uh, you know, kudos to those guys down South. They, they did a good job. So will, will the youths continue to see drop eight until they can prove to beat it? I mean, or is that something you, do you see that on film and just throw it at them? I mean, you can, it, it's, you know, again, it's to, to install that in one week is tough. It's kind of got to be part of your, part of your scheme going into it. So the easiest way, like when I'm trying to explain drop eight to people, the easiest way is to start is if you're playing a four down team or a three down team, if you're playing a four down team, you're not going to see much drop eight because that, you know, eighth guy is, is a, is a defensive lineman, right? He's not a guy you want in coverage. He's a guy you want rushing a quarterback. Um, what the team down South does is, you know, they primarily line up in an odd front, a, a three down front. And so you have that eighth guy as like a stand up. He could be a little heavier bodied guy, usually into the boundary, into the short side of the field for the run game. But um, again, you can have him cover like the boundary flat and for, you know, uh, an outside linebacker DN type guy that's not um, asking too much of him. And now you can have with him covering the boundary flat, you can have your boundary corner in a third or a, or a quarters look. And you've really just taken away your easiest throw for a quarterback, right? It's your shortest throw into the boundary. You've taken that away with a guy who's not really a cover guy. So now you can put all your other cover guys in the middle of the field in the deep third or the deep half or the deep quarter of the field. And so it's, it's just tough. Um, <clears throat> there, there are guys that have a lot of success against it. Um, and honestly, a lot of it is, is just the, the play breaks down and receivers. Um, you know, usually if you have some veteran guys that they, they can identify it and kind of um, adjust their route on the fly to try and find soft spots. Cause there's still soft spots in it, especially Nobody plays drop eight and plays man. Drop eight is always zone. So whether you move a defender with your eyes as a quarterback or a receiver adjusts his route, there are soft spots in it, but um, it's it's really difficult. Um, it, it truly is, especially on a known pass down. Um, that's why 
you know, and this is the beauty of the odd front defense. So like I'm watching that and I would say, Hey, the next third and eight, I would love to see a run play just to kind of keep them honest. And it might not work and you might have to punt, but at least it'll keep the defensive coordinator in the back of his mind. Like, well, shoot, they ran it on this down next time. Maybe I don't want to call drop eight. Um, and, and this is kind of the chess game, you know, within football. The beauty of also an odd front, though, is that boundary guy can stand at the line of scrimmage. So even though there's only three down linemen and, and potentially, you know, two inside linebackers in the box, you add that sixth guy as the boundary guy. So you're still outnumbering the offensive line, right? So it's still six versus five. Um, and that's really tough. And and they've done that for a long time. Even when Bronco was there, they used to do that. And that's kind of been there, at least from, from my understanding and, and what I've been a part of as a player and watching their mo is they drop eight and and create problems and throw game um especially on third down hey jordan you know uh we're huge tavion thomas fans on this podcast uh, especially scott scott's been ringing his bell since he since he signed with the youth I, I was driving that to that bus but after <laughs> after sunday kyle kicked uh, me out <laughs> or saturday don't Keep driving it. Keep driving it. I think that I I, I think that kid's super talented. Um, he's just got to he's got to hold on to the football. And that's kind of um, what I want to ask you about. If if you were you know his coach, if you were on staff, kind of his his issues now two games in a row putting the ball on on the turf. What kind of things would you be talking to him about? What are there drills or or what would you be or how would you approach it as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you just got to approach it head on and just say, hey, like, this is a problem and, and you're not going to play if you can't figure this out. Um, that You know, that's usually the best way to go about it is just be very upfront. And there's a ton of ways to, to manufacture drills. Um, there's a ton of ways. Um, you know, I know up there, at least when I was playing, the whistle could be over on a play and defenders were still trying to knock the ball out as you were walking back or jogging back to the huddle. Um, so just constant awareness of the ball. Um, and creating that and manufacturing that, I, I think is a good way to go about it. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, he's got to realize he's got to take care of the football. I, I, I'm not off. I'm not off the train personally. I think he's a super talented back. I think he's a, a big back. That's a problem to take down. Um, I just think he needs to put a lot of focus on that. And if that means he doesn't break an extra tackle or two, cause he's got two hands on the football for, you know, the next few weeks, then that's what he needs to do. And, um, you kind of give up maybe some, um, you know, playmaking ability by having two hands on the ball, uh, more consciously, but like, he's going to make those plays when he gets into the open field, he's talented enough. So in my mind is as simple as like, Hey, have two hands on the football until you know, you're in the open field. Um, there's no reason to have one hand on the football when you're between the tackles or within the box. And that's where I think both of those fumbles have occurred. So um, to me, you know, it's, it's a fairly easy fix and like, Hey, you know, have two hands on the football until you break through that second level. And, and then we can start talking about putting one hand on it and, and, you know, allowing your talent to take over. So through, through two games, the offense, um, is four for 17 on third down. We, we hear wit talk about, you know, third down, uh, um, and how they have to win that week in and week out. Obviously, that's hasn't gone very well so far through these first two games. How how does an offense address that? You know, whether it whether it's third down conversion or whether it's some other issue, a glaring issue that that that, that a team is facing. How is that addressed um, in practice or throughout throughout the week to essentially you know over time try and correct that? 
I mean, you, again, you just you got to address it head on. Um, you know, for me, uh, putting on my coaching hat, that that means you just do a ton of third down situations in practice over and over again, and you rep the hell out of it, and you get everybody bought in, and they know exactly what calls are going to happen. Um, because what'd you say the style was four of seventeen? Four of seventeen. Yeah, I mean that that's truthfully that's that's really poor. Um, I think if you throw in, which we used to do, if you count fourth downs as well, because that really should be counted in the third down stat, because you're 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 you know that's basically your third down now. You're negating the punt. They're they're probably worse. They're probably worse than four of seventeen. I think they were over two on fourth down on Saturday night. So, um, it's not good. Uh, you know, typically you want to be above fifty percent. Um, you know, if you look at the end of the season, the best offense is where they're going to be at. If, if you're in that above 50% range, you're probably like a top 15, top 10 offense on third down. Um, and that, and that's what the game of football is about. I mean, I, I harp on it a ton. Um, anytime I get a chance is, is it's situational football. Um, you know, as a play caller and as a player, you can run just about anything first and 10 or second and medium between the twenties. Um, there's a lot of guys across the country that are really successful at, at those downs and in those field positions, but, um, where you really separate yourself as an offense and, um, as a coach and as a team is situational football. And so, you know, you have to be good on third down. You've got to stay on the field and find ways to convert and guys got to make plays. And, um, you know, they're, they're not doing that right now. The other situation that's super glaring is red zone. They're not doing a great job in the red zone and you've got to come away with points and really, in today's game, you've got to come away with touchdowns when you get in the red zone. And, um, you know, they haven't been doing that as well. So those are two pretty glaring scenarios. Um, but again, you can you can manufacture those in practice. You can rep those in practice. You can put yourself in um, those situations. And, and you know, there's a, there a saying up at Utah football, uh, you know, a lot of programs use it. It's a Michael Jordan quote that, you know, you want to pr- make practice harder than the game. So that way, when you walk out on the field, you've already done it so many times. Um, you know, he didn't want to say it was easy, but you knew what was going to happen or you should know what was going to happen. Um, so I know that they have that approach up there, that, that you know, quote, I, I believe, at least when I was up there, was written on one of the walls. And so what do you do? You put yourself in really hard third down situations all week in practice. You put yourself in third and extra long. You put yourself in third and long. Um, as a coach, you can literally draw up for the scout team, the perfect defense for the play call you're going to call in essence, trying to make it really tough and find, have your players find ways to find success when you're in a bad call or when you're in an uphill look. And so, you know, Ludwig's a smart dude, super cerebral guy. I'm, I'm sure they're going to get it figured out. I, I have no doubt in, in any of the guys up there. So anyone who listens to this podcast knows that the three of us know nothing about X's and O's, but <laughs> shocker. <laughs> but what? But when we were talking before you came on, we were talking about that fourth and two in the first half they didn't convert, and all sure. three of us hate that play call: shotgun, run up the middle. Do what, I'd sure. love to hear your thought on that and what they. Sh- and if you think differently, what should they have run? Uh, so I was getting a bunch of texts from a lot of friends that were like, really, really on fourth and two. And my reply was, well, it would have been great if it worked. So, (laughs) and that, you know, and that's kind of where you're at on offense. Um, you know, we can all sit here and and go, man, that was a bad play call on fourth and two. And, uh, you know, my answer usually is, yeah, maybe, maybe it was again, you know, not being able to see the film and, and study on what they were doing or what they were expecting. It's tough to say. Um, 
you know, as a fan and even, you know, I, I sit and watch the games. It's tough on a fourth and two to be in shotgun and run read zone. I completely can empathize with that viewpoint. Um, if you're going to run the football, you know, I'd love to see all three of those tight ends in and you get under center and, and you run downhill like power or, or inside zone with a lead back or something. Um, you know, on that particular fourth and two, if I remember right, it was like, it was like trips bunch and they ran read zone. So you're kind of, you've, you've condensed everybody into the box, um, which isn't, you know, necessarily ideal. Um, but again, it, it's hard to say. And, you know, again, my answer is like, yeah, it didn't work. So I didn't like it. But if, if it would have popped for seven yards, everybody would have been like, man, what a great freaking play call that was. <laughs> so, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, everybody's saying it without knowing they're saying it. It's, it's a production oriented game. And that's all that fans want. That's all we want as, as, you know, diehard Ute fans and former players is we want production. And so when you run bunch fourth and two zone read, you know, I, like I said, I was getting a lot of texts. What kind of play call was that? And I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah, I know it's frustrating. I know. But if it would have went for eight, you would have been like, man, Ludwig's a genius. So um, make it work. Right. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. kind of the that's kind of the end thing that I'm trying to say is just, is just produce. And we're not sitting here asking these questions. Um, are there potentially better formations and, and runs to, to run in that scenario? Yeah, maybe. Um, potentially, um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's just execute your stuff. And we're sitting here, you know, saying, Oh, that was a great play call on fourth and two. We got it. And, you know, ended up putting points on the board. Well, we didn't. So instead we're sitting here questioning, you know, was that the right play call? Um, we got stuffed and the bigger issue is that's continually happening. That happened in week one, right against Weaver on the goal, on the, Mm -hmm. on the goal line, I think on the three or two yard line. So, um, again, things that need to get cleaned up. Fourth and short, that's a situational situ that's a situation. That's situational football. Fourth and short. It's not first and ten between the twenties. That's a situational aspect of football. And that's what wins and loses you football games is is those situations. So, you know, again, sound like a broken record, but you've got to clean it up and you gotta win situational football. You've got to win the game within the game. Jordan, you're like the voice of reason and <laughs> i i need to like text you during the game i'll drive you crazy oh but i, I please need, do please do <laughs> you gotta keep me you could come you could come watch it with me you would you would think i'm sitting watching you know a baseball game i don't have a lot of emotion i'm just sitting there watching and my wife will look at me you know you still score a touchdown and my wife's screaming and i'm like oh, yeah good play and she's like dude do you get like excited or are you like a robot i don't know i'm like hey i'm just sitting here you know uh, yeah i want them to do well but i'm just sitting watching football and it's so different for me to watch football you know because i'm trying to watch the actual scheme of it all as quick as i can and so um you know there's a lot of comments where uh you know go over a lot of people's heads when people come over and watch football with me like, Oh, that was a bad audible. He shouldn't have done that. Or, Oh, there's three week defenders run week. It's a simple game or find an easy completion or, you know, sayings that I have or things that I say, or, or when I watch what I'm looking for. So it's definitely different. Um, 
you know, you guys are welcome to come watch with me. I, I, like I said, it's boring. It's boring to watch football with me. Next podcast um, is at your house. No, it, it, it really is. You guys will be like, man, that, you'll you'll leave and be like, man, that was kind of boring. Yo, like, you'll I don't you'll know definitely I block my number. Oh, because that's, I mean, that's just how, you know, it doesn't matter who I'm watching. I just like to sit and watch. And hey, your, your wife can go crazy with us anytime. Oh, she'll, she loves it when people come over because she's like, finally, somebody's getting excited with me. And I'm just sitting there and she's high-fiving everyone. And I'm like, yeah, no, that was awesome. But I love it. Sounds like cool. a match made in heaven. Oh, no, it's, it's, she's, you know, we're perfect for each other. She's got all the passion and emotion. And I just sit there about as even kill as you can get. She's like, dude, do you like get excited? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm excited. This is my excited this face. My- and she's like, yeah, she's like, you don't look any different. I'm like, <laughs> I'm excited. I promise. <laughs> That's why you played the position in college and we just watched uh, it on TV. <laughs> hey, it's like what we were talking about before we, we jumped on, right? It's you control those emotions and, I was hardwired from a very young age to control my emotions and sports and in life. And, and that's just who I am. I'm always going to be that guy. I'm always going to be pretty even kill. And, you know, my wife and I joke, she was like begging, like, Hey, please, like, can you get just, you know, on our wedding? Can I like see some emotion, maybe like a, <laughs> a, a tear, like anything. And, uh, we laugh cause I got very close to a tear. She was like, I saw your eyes and they were a little bit watery when you said yes. And I was like, Hey, I was fighting all the emotions and that was about as emotional, you know, the birth of our son. I was just, I was so excited, but I'm just sitting there smiling and she's like, this is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is great. Like, I love them. I love you. This is fantastic. And that's, you know, that's about the high of the high for me. I'm going to, you know, Hey, this is great. Cool. What do we do next? That's awesome. So, no, she's, you know, like, like we're perfect for each other. She gets all excited and and I'm just the one that just sits there and she calls me the grumpy old man because I'm like, you know, I look out and I'm like, get off my lawn type guy. And she's like, (laughs) have some fun, like have some fun, talk to the neighbors, like have some emotion. And I'm just like, "Ah, I'm good. (laughs) You know what? So you, as you're describing all this, it sounds just like Ludwig. (laughs) <laughs> what's funny is that what's I mean, funny about Ludwig, there's I have some a lot of stories about. So Ludwig, I never played for Ludwig, but Ludwig recruited me. Um and then he ended up leaving to go to Cal right before I got there. But I remember sitting and talking with Ludwig, and it's so funny that you just said that because literally I remember looking at my dad and I'm like, Man, this guy's like really like sh- shows no emotion at all. Like this is different. Um, versus some of the conversations I was having with other coaches, right? Like, Hey, Jordan, we're fired up to, you know, offer you a scholarship. We're fired up to recruit you. We really want you, um, this and that. And with Ludwig, it was always very like even keel, like, Hey, here's what we do on offense. We think you're a good fit. Um, here's what we're trying to do. Here's what, you know, do you have any questions? And, um, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized like, man, I'm just really not that emotional of a person. And, um, it's just funny how that comes full circle like that. And, uh, I think it's why I, maybe I have so much trust in the dude. Cause I think he's so even keel. And, and like I said, very cerebral that, um, he plays the chess game, you know, that that's what, at least without asking him and without knowing, I'd imagine that's what allures him and where his passion lies with football is through the chess game. And that's kind of how I was as a player and as a coach is, um, it's awesome to throw a touchdown and rice cycles and hear, you know, 50,000 people stand up and, and cheer and everything. But 
the the more fun part was knowing that I changed the protection and and beat the defensive coordinator's play call. Um, that's kind of where I always enjoyed the game and where I still enjoy the game is I love watching people make adjustments, especially quarterbacks at the line of scrimmage and, and the chess game of it all. Um, and so again, that just kind of ties into the whole thing about the emotions. Like I don't get, you know, if you go back and watch as a player, when I throw a touchdown, I don't really get super fired up. I mean, I'm excited, but, um, it's just being a, you know, be the same guy and no matter what, when things are bad and when things are good, be the same guy. And that's when people can rely on you. And, and, uh, you know, you don't lose your cool ever. You're always in control of your emotion. And, you know, when people get emotional, that's when bad things happen. So if you can control your emotions and save and kill, and you know, I fell in love with the chess game of football. I get to play the chess game of football and control my emotions. That's how I was. And, um, seems like Ludwig maybe is the same. Jordan, buddy, thank you so much for jumping on. I mean, we've taken way more time than we promised we would. You have a family. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, and I'm going to be texting you during the San Diego State game. So hey, please don't, do. Don't be please blocking. Do. You can block Scott. No. Just don't block me. <laughs> hey, you guys, just put us all in a group text. And when you guys are all spiraling, saying, ah, we're done, I'll be the one that's just like, hey. The, you know, as the best quote is Aaron Rodgers a few years ago, he said, hey, R-E-L-A-X, relax. Everybody take a <laughs> breath. We're all okay. Everything's fine. Everything's still attainable. Just I get it. We're all upset, but recompose. Let's get a win Saturday, and we're back on track, and we're going into conference play. Awesome. That's right, buddy. Jordan, thank you so much, buddy. We'll be in touch. Okay, appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Jordan. Right, thanks, Jordan. I really appreciate Jordan for jumping on. Uh, we're up against a break, but when we come back, let's let's kind of get into some of his answers and responses. Really curious what you guys have to say about that, and we'll be right back. All right, so really good stuff from Jordan. Um, obviously, I I need to kind of. I'll admit, I kind of need to chill out a little bit. Maybe I got a little too heated. Yeah, he called you out. He didn't even hear what you said yet. <laughs> a little heated if, about wit. If the world could see the text messages you sent me. Oh, geez. <laughs> Here's the thing is, I'm not one of those guys. I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not calling for wit's head. I'm not calling for Ludwig's head. Any, n- nothing like that. But you I, were one that wanted Rising to start this Oh, week. no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you, Ryan. <laughs> No, but now he made the club. Now he hates <laughs> both of us. Uh, really interesting stuff uh, from Jordan. Uh, you know, especially talking about uh, Tavion Thomas, and it, it's interesting because Thomas, after he had the fumble, he sat out maybe like two series, and then he was able to come back in the game. Uh, but and then on that second drop that he had, that turned out not to be a fumble. I don't think he got back in after that. No, I mean you, you saw a little bit of pledger. Um, and then obviously Bernard just took over. Well, he had a heck he, of a game. That's a special kid. You know what? Obviously, you know I've made it pretty known. I'm I'm a I'm a Tavian Thomas guy, and 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 kind of riding that train. But I'll tell you, Pled or uh, Bernard won me over in that game just for the fact. Obviously, he was he was very productive, and with without him, this uh, I mean that offense would have been horrifically anemic oh, yeah. without mm-hmm. him so so he, i mean he gave that offense life but the thing about it is the dude was just playing with heart 
he, he would not go down. And I'm just, as you watch that, it was like, why is he the only one that's playing with that type of urgency? Which was disappointing to to see that nobody else had that urgency. Well, even even just the, the offense as a whole, right? I mean, Whittingham talked about that today. It it took 25 seconds to get the play call in there, you know, and the, and the play clock's running down, and they're they're just getting to the line of scrimmage. It just it it for being down and not having any hurry up, not having you know, trying to change the pace of the game a little bit. You know, Bernard was literally that lone bright spot offensively. And, you know, Brewer, yeah, Brewer didn't set the set the world on fire the other night. But he also wasn't really given much of an opportunity because of just the rhythm of the offense, um, the lack of protection from the offensive line. So he needs some help. But obviously as a leader and as the quarterback of the team, he he's he has to, you know, try and set that tone. And I, I'm sure he is trying to do so. But yeah, Bernard completely won me over, and and he has to be your your starter moving forward. Yeah, I think my, my the only complaint with with Bernard is just pass blocking. Um, he I know he kind of has struggles with that last season. It's kind of carried over this season. I uh, missed a couple blocks um, against BYU. Uh, but maybe not, obviously he's still a young well, kid. Well, so did the still offensive su- line, and that's their job. <laughs> he's still super young. Uh, it's something that he can can work towards. Uh, the other thing that uh, that Jordan talked about was Charlie Brewer and having to go against, you know, eight man deep. Um, so then you were talking to him about Ryan. Um, can we just agree that the people on Twitter saying that that Brewer needs to sit just need to be quiet for right now? Oh, absolutely. That it's was... one game, and it it wasn't well, all on him. And and one game ago. Twitter was on fire about Brewer. Oh yeah, right about how accurate he was and and what a pretty ball he throws and and just how dynamic he was in the passing game. So it, it just comes down to that overreaction in the heat of the moment, right? If, if, and Jordan said it perfectly. You know, it's a production game. Fans want production. If you're not getting it, you're dead to me. <laughs> in the heat <laughs> yeah, of the moment, true. right? And that's that's how. I mean, I, I I sometimes get like that. I'm like, what are we doing with this? And you know, obviously, I don't have that even kill that that uh, that Jordan has. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's a there's obviously there's a lot of factors that play offensively, and it's not just it's not just the offensive line, and it's not just the quarterback. It's it's the unit as a whole has to get on on the same page and find that rhythm, right? Find that rhythm where they can start operating. And, uh, and, and I, I would suspect as the, as they go through the course of the season, they're going to find some things that work for them that when things aren't going well, they can turn to something that, that clicks with this offense and then can get them on, get them going. And that's, that's what I was so surprised by. I'm not surprised by a slow start. We've seen that for years and years, right? Come out of the gates. It, you know, we maybe don't have a great first quarter, but then by the second quarter, the offense is rolling. We're, and and we we get some good production. I was just surprised that it just once we got that first touchdown to Keithy, I thought that's it. Mm-hmm. That was the that was yes, the fire this offense that, needed well, that to keep going. This engine's going, and now. It, and then on the next series, we just kind of stall back out. You know, that whether entire... that's a turnover that caused that, or or it's a it's a critical penalty that kills a drive. You know, those are the things that have got to get cleaned up so that the, once you get that momentum, we can sustain it. That, that entire drive, they made that look easy. It, it was 
every everything just clicked and you're like they, they they found it and then you know as you mentioned they they reverted back to not being able to put it together um but even going back to your comments about brewer overall when he had time to throw he the, the pass to Keithy was spot on the pass later in the game to Kincaid was a great pass he he found guys when he had time the trouble was he didn't have a lot of time most of the time, and and, and, and you was, can't put that on him. And he wasn't getting help. I mean, he hits um, Devon Vele right in the numbers, right? Oh yeah, on a critical on a critical pass and a point in the game that killed momentum because he drops it. And I mean that pass late in the game on third down to, to Covey. Now, granted, that was that would have been a tough catch, oh, yeah, or kind of around yeah. low and around uh, around the defender. But again, it, it 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 made it into the hands of Covey, and 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 then he dropped it. And so, you know, we we could talk all we want about hey, Brewer's got to be more productive and more productive. He's got to get some help from guys catching the ball, and it just can't be tight ends. You know, we harp all the time about this this wide receiver core, right? If we want to have a more uh, more potent offensive passing a passing game. Wideouts have got to catch the yeah. ball when they when they get it, and they got to get open. And again, for, from watching it on TV, it's hard it's hard to determine are guys getting open and 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 Brewers just not able to see them, and that's why he's not delivering these passes. Or are guys just not getting open. Is it due to the you know BYU dropping eight guys and there's literally nobody open? There's no windows to th- to throw that ball. So some of those answers we just don't have because we, you know, you're not able to really see it. We're not reviewing film or anything like that, like the coaching staff. But, but, but as Jordan alluded to, that is something that Ludwig's gonna gonna focus on, and that's something that they've got to get better on, and and sooner rather than later. Well, I think that's you know I, that's kind of what we've been harping on this episode, right? Is that they're talented enough, they have the coaches in place to be successful. Now it's they just need to translate it onto the field. In two games, we just we really haven't seen it, and I I just think that's where fans' frustration is. And I get it, but let's just remember, it's one game. Everything's still in play. You still have a chance as Utah to win the South, to play in the Pac-12 championship game, to play for the Rose Bowl. Those are still achievable goals. Losing sucks. Losing to your rival is not fun. But it's not the end of the world for the, for Utah. No. They have time. They have this week against San Diego State to kind of work out those kinks and then really start kicking off Pac-12 play against Washington State the next week. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, if these guys came back, a lot of these guys came back with a goal of winning the Pac-12. Now, obviously, as we've mentioned, that's still in front of them and still possible. And they're hyped, and they're probably hyped to do that. And I, but I also think there's probably this letdown that's just natural. Like you've gone through fall camp, you've busted up, you're, you know, you're just going head to head against these guys, your own teammates, and then you're like, okay, now our first game's at FCS school, and then we've got BYU, who we just need to show up and win or show up and we'll beat them. That mentality isn't, it's not right, and they should have a better mentality, but I can see w- why it's probably, it could be there. Like, Yeah, I can see why why it could be there, uh, you know, but again, I, 
they they didn't play in front of fans last year, right? They only played five games. Some of these guys didn't get much action. You know, this isn't this isn't Major League Baseball. You play 182 games. I mean, they they only have so many games to play. So it, it it's just it's just surprising yeah. when when this is the type of season that's expected. The all the hype, even from Kyle Winningham, and then they come out flat. It is a little surprising. Yeah. But I'll, I will be shocked. I will be shocked if this team does not come out with fire on on Saturday down mm-hmm. at San Diego State. I, I expect you're going to see a completely different team. They're too good. They're too good. There's too much talent. There's too much pride there. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna come out and want to prove something and and get and get get a get a heater going. I so I th- I think you're gonna see a, a much different and team. And be, if we don't, I'll be shocked. And you're gonna be on a plane and won't watch it anyway. So. I know I'm gonna be at thirty thousand feet trying to see if I can get uh, CBS Sports Network. It's like we're back in the Mountain West days. Is that the channel it's on? Yeah. I'm gonna have to go find somewhere to watch it too. I gotta remember those days in the Mountain West. Was like, oh, do you know anybody who's got uh, the uh, in-home network that the game's on? (laughs) Dang! All right, we're up against another break. Uh, We come back. We'll hit on Utah, San Diego State, as well as look at the Pac-12 and the news that has hit. All right, so Utah's getting ready to face. Their old conference foe in San Diego State, Aztecs. It's going to be a little sad. It's not going to be a Qualcomm. Rat-infested Qualcomm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's going on? I I heard they're playing where the Chargers play now or something. Like what? No, they're playing in Carson, um, I believe, which is like 100 miles away. <laughs> so it's a home game, but not really a home game. And uh, from what I understand, it's... Like a fifteen thousand capacity stadium, so it's not. It, I don't know if it's like a makeshift high school facility while their while their facility is being built. But uh, I don't know a whole lot about it. It'll be interesting to see if if CBS Sports is the network providing uh, the the viewing experience. It's going to be quite an experience, I think. <laughs> they are coming off uh, a big win over Arizona, thirty eight fourteen. And in the first week, they beat New Mexico State 28-10. So, you know, as as Jordan Wynn mentioned, they're coming off a a win against a Pac-12 opponent. They got to be feeling pretty good about themselves right now. Uh, And I think this is, you know, not the same San Diego team that Utah faced in their last years of the the Mountain West. I think this program has gotten better since then. from things I've you know read online, th- different podcasts I've listened to, it really seems like their offensive line and and their defensive line um, is very aggressive, is very physical, uh, which is probably a good thing for Utah. I honestly think it is. After what they experienced with BYU, what kind of changes they can make in this week to go up and against another pretty aggressive line I, I think will bode well for Utah to see where they are well and 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 they're gonna get a test in the rush game again and so to, to your point cam it will be a good a good uh, um, kind of just barometer as far as what did the, what did the Utes learn from last week what adjustments have been made and can they get off the field right because that was the biggest problem at BYU defensively was getting off the field on third down they were BYU was 11 of 19 on third down 
San Diego State can run the ball. I mean, they've had prolific rushing attacks over the last few years. And uh, so it's going to be a test. They've got good athletes. They always have. And uh, so this 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 is going to be a, a good test for Utah. Um, one last little primer before uh, Washington State and the unvaccinated Cougs come to town. <laughs> and before we get into picking a score for the Utah-San Diego State game, uh, a lot of has happened with the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon gets the major upset over Ohio State, 35-28. That was big for the conference, big for Man, Oregon. Watching that game and then watching Utah later in the day scares me. Man, as as I as I watched that game, I I was so impressed with with Oregon. They looked so good. They looked so physical. That that used to be Utah, right? That mm-hmm. physicality in Oregon is with with the type of athletes that they recruit and that that physicality that they're starting to play with. That's scary for this conference. Well, and I think. I, I totally agree. It is scary for the conference, but it goes back to what we talked about last week about the Pac-12, about that was a win the conference needed. Oh, without a doubt. With these flag bearer conference teams that we talked about, you know, the Oregon, the Washingtons, it's these out-of-conference games that they need to show well. And for Oregon to do that, I, that, that it gives more credibility to the conference. We need more of it, though, right? It can't just be this one-off. It's got to continue week after week in these non-conference games when the Pac-12 does have these big matchups they need to win. Uh, Colorado loses to Texas A&M. That was a good game. Uh, Well, okay. A surprise, too. Ugly game, but I was surprised with Colorado when I mean good that Colorado... Colorado almost had that. They did. I mean, you know, 7-3 to late in the game... Obviously, it helps when A and M starting quarterback goes out, and and they they weren't very productive. But that's a good showing for Colorado, right? Because again, it goes back to that depth of the conference, and and you know, even though they still ended up losing, having them go on the road against a, a top five team in the country and be right there, winning late in the game, even a close loss, that still helps the conference. And it would have been sweet to see if they could pull that oh, off, yeah. though. Well, and they led late in the game. Uh, it was three to seven for most of the game. Uh, Texas A&M fumbled it going into the end zone, and and when that happened, I thought for sure Colorado had the game because they had all the momentum. Uh, but they just went three and out, went right back to Texas A&M, and and was able to march down and, and get that touchdown for the win. Uh, and then kind of the big surprising thing: Stanford upsets USC forty-two to twenty-eight cost clay helton his job i don't i didn't see that coming because stanford no saw looked that. awful last week they did look awful. awful which gives me hope that the youth can have a similar turnaround this week right because because we talked about it last week stanford has been pretty unimpressive for a couple of years now and and to see them just handle usc like that i mean it wasn't they squeaked out a a, a tough win I mean, they dominated that game and ran all over them. So that was the that's the final uh, final nail in uh, Clay Helton's uh, coffin. There, I did see on Twitter that someone tweeted out that Helton's career started with a blowout loss to Stanford and it ends with a blowout loss to Stanford, and a lot of mediocrity in between. For a program that recruited as well as they could, they yeah, 
But his you know, seat, his seat has been on fire for three years now. It it has, but you know they've had they've really had these kind of fake ads in this time, or you know over these last yeah. several years who have made some of these hires. I'm afraid they've got a good ad now who actually knows what he's doing and is going to make a good hire, which which kind of leaves us in a weird position, right? Because we need the conference, we need USC to be a flag bearer in the conference. We need them to be a top-rated team to go to the playoffs we and bring, to bring that our, exposure to the Pac-12. We need them to be our Clemson. Well, we do. And and we need, along with an Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. The downside is is if they turn into that, that makes winning the South very, very difficult. difficult. Which it already is now. For sure. Uh, and then lastly, okay, Washington loses 31-10 to 10 to Michigan. Is Is Washington done? Under Jimmy Lake, they are. Are they no longer the flag bearer? No, I mean, or, Oregon's the flag bearer of the North, without question. But it's always been Oregon-Washington, right? The last couple of years, it's either 1A or 1B. Oh, but yeah, they've they fallen off pretty quick. They have fallen off. Chris I, Peterson's going to be like, what have you done? I left you with a cupboard <laughs> full of... Yeah, they all left, and Jimmy Lake's <laughs> running right into the ground. It's crazy. It's crazy how quickly they fall. And the rumors today that uh, if they don't see significant improvement offensively, that by week three they could be out of an OC. I mean, that that's that's like even quick for Kyle Whittingham. <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see. I mean... Well, if Utah loses to San Diego State, we'll all be calling for jobs too, so... <laughs> the hashtag fire Ludwig may, may be, may be uh, coming back, but uh, no, that's... The, I, 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 I'm, I'm completely shocked with, with how bad Washington is. And it makes it even worse that we blew that twenty-one nothing lead to them last year. Oh yeah, and we don't get to play them this year. I mean, they're awful, and we don't, we don't get to play them. What are the odds? Thanks a lot, Mister Scott. And they've they've scored seventeen points this season in two games. <laughs> well, and and that's that's where I mean, talk about a team with talent. Oh yeah, I mean that's mm-hmm. that's pretty ridiculous. Uh, looking ahead to this week's games, you know, not not a lot of I think marquee games. Uh, with it kind of being the final out-of-conference games for most of the league. Uh, probably the one that stands out, Minnesota at Colorado. You know, Minnesota's had a lot of success the last couple of years. Uh, you know, let, I want to see this Colorado team if last week was a fluke. Uh, can they do it again? Granted, Minnesota's not a top 25 team, uh, but, you know, there are rumblings that Colorado's is building something, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do there. Are those are those rumblings coming out of uh, out of Colorado or elsewhere? I, mostly Colorado, <laughs> but we'll see. And then a game you probably didn't have circled uh, or even really cared about before the season started. Arkansas State is traveling to Washington. Do you guys think Washington gets that one? I mean, they're a sixteen point favorite. Can they even score sixteen points? I don't know. Jacksonville State just upset Florida State uh, at the end of the game. Oh, that was awesome! That hell Mary. So I'm 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 gonna go. I'm gonna go with the upset. I'm gonna it wasn't go, even. I'm gonna I go mean, Arkansas the, State. You're going with the Red Wolves. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Red it Wolves. It was on that. a hell Mary, but it wasn't like it just chuck it up for grabs. Oh, I know. Florida <laughs> State was playing man defense. <laughs> <laughs> like three guys just like stand there, just let them run. Kyle Whittingham would have had a, a stroke watching them. No prevent defense on that. <laughs> Did you see the Florida State cheerleader? Yeah. Afterwards, <laughs> that was awesome. 
Talk about a program that just cannot get off the ground along with Tennessee. It's just amazing to me. Uh, who you got the Red Wolves? Come on, you know you want to do it. Absolutely. It's the year of the, I, I totally got him, It's dude. the year of the upset. They they barely lost to Memphis 55-50 to 50 this past week. They're going to put up points against Washington and Jimmy Lake. I might be looking forward three. Might, might might be uh headed with Clay Helton somewhere. You know, if if they go 0 and 3, we're calling the dog pod and we're just going to like <laughs> laugh at him on the air. All right, and probably then the last game get into Arizona State and BYU. Should be a good I, game. You guys torn on who you want cuz I know I am. I want both teams to lose. I uh you got to you got to back the pack. Uh, you have to. I hate ASU with a burning passion, and and if ASU fans know anything, they know thing. They know burning. <laughs> All right. So, but no, I'm. You got to back the pack on this one. Obviously, uh, we don't want BYU three and zero against the Pac twelve South. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know Pac-12 needs all the wins they can get but I, th- I think it'll be a pretty good game I- I'm interested to see you know I mean like I said earlier credit to BYU they they beat us fair and square I still don't think BYU is all that great because we didn't we could not have played much worse of a game and we're, we were still in it so they didn't take BYU to that point, to just did not take advantage of the opportunities that really that Utah gave them. I mean, they should have won won that game probably by thirty points. So it makes me wonder: okay, how good is BYU, and can they can they beat an ASU the week after of probably the most emotional oh, victory yeah. that programs probably that's, ever had exactly outside of nineteen eighty four. That's exactly what I was just thinking. I think there's a possibility of a major letdown after that emotional victory. I mean, it's been a lot of years pent up to get finally get that victory. And, and clearly, the players and the fans were overjoyed to get it because the entire stadium emptied onto the field after the game. Nope. BYU fans are soaking in that victory. Good one. All right, let's get into the Utah-San Diego State game. Uh, right now, Utah is a seven-point favorite. Scott, who do you got and what's your score? Big big rebound week for the Utes. As, as I said, said earlier in the podcast, I think, I think we're going to see a completely different team. I think the Utes are going to come out with something to prove, um, and I think they're going to lay it on San Diego State. Obviously, you know, I think, you know, I'm not saying we're going to run away by a, by a 40 point margin. I think obviously Utah still got to work through some things, but I think we're going to see a big turnaround. I'm going to go Utah 41, um, San Diego State 27. Ryan, where are you going? I too think that's going to be a bounce back week. Um, at least that's what the hope is. But uh, I do. Th- if if they put it together and bounce back, I think it's a it's a good win. It's thirty one to ten. I'm not as confident as you guys in this. Uh, Shocker. Well, I just think Utah is really going to use this game to work out a lot of their kinks. You're still you're still ready mad at for Kyle, it. aren't you? I think Utah wins. I have it. Utah twenty one. San Diego State, 13. If we only score 21, 21 points, really? We still have big issues. 
That'll do it for this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? I'd love to have Jordan Wynn follow me at Drum and Feather. That's Drum, the letter N, Feather. <laughs> and Scott? Yeah, you can, uh, you can find me at Uteman underscore forever. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast on our home, utahmanpodcast.com. And anywhere you listen to a podcast, we are there at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Subscribe and rate. And hopefully Utah can get things turned around and get a much-needed win against the Aztecs and Go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die. Kai-yai. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah.